Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the app store and Google play. Now back to local sports talk on sports beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. It is five 32 on this Monday evening. Welcome back to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Before we get to our next guest, let me just do a very quick Recap of the breaking news we talked about before the commercial break. David Jones, longtime columnist for the Harrisburg Patriot News. I'm told he is very well in tune to things going on with Penn State basketball. And he tweeted out just a few moments ago that his sources tell him that Micah Shrewsbury, the Penn State basketball coach, is in talks with Notre Dame. Penn State has made their pitch to Shrewsbury And apparently, according to David, that Shrewsbury is now talking to Notre Dame about their vacancy. And, of course, Shrewsbury has been with Butler, Purdue a couple of times, and was the head coach at IU South Bend for a couple of years. So he is very familiar with South Bend. And let's be honest, he's very familiar with recruiting this part of the country, being at Purdue and Butler. He was my number one choice all along, so I'm pretty excited right now. We'll see if anything comes of this story that David Jones put out just a little bit ago from the Harrisburg Patriot News. Fortunately, we have one Notre Dame basketball team still in action right now. It is Niel Ivey's Fighting Irish. They got through the South Bend Regional to make the Sweet 16. They blew out Southern Utah and then took care of Mississippi State in a hard-fought game yesterday, 53 to 48 and the Irish move on to take on the two seed Maryland in Greenville on Saturday to talk about the Irish I'm joined by Anthony Anderson the Notre Dame women's basketball beat reporter for the South Bend Tribune Anthony good to be with you how are you this evening I'm doing great how about you Darren I'm doing okay you've seen a lot of basketball over the last couple of days a couple of <laughs> Irish women's basketball games you covered the Penn Kokomo semi-state title game over at Michigan City on Saturday and I would have to say at least the last two games you witnessed were awfully awfully good yeah when when you said a hard-fought game for on Sunday that's exactly right because it was it turned into kind of a, a rock fight uh Sony Citron for Notre Dame was knocked sideways about as much as any player I've seen this season and she did not have a great shooting day but she handled it well she got to the line late she was fouled nine times that they called and, uh, you know, she was fouled more than that. So mm. it, it was it was a hard-fought game, exactly like you say. After watching Mississippi State take on Illinois in that play-in game, I thought it was going to be an interesting matchup. Mississippi State had some height that I thought did a lot of damage in that play-in game with some guards that were very, very versatile. I thought this would be one of those low-scoring type games, and it, it played out that way. Are you kind of surprised it turned into this type of game, or is that the way you saw it as well? I didn't think it would be that low scoring. The margin was about what I expected. 
Uh, I thought it would be a little high scoring. Mississippi State had been awfully hot from three lately, but they only shot three of 20 against Notre Dame. And a lot of credit goes to Notre Dame's defense. I thought they exhausted Mississippi State, just like Mississippi State exhausted them. Hmm. So, Anthony, just offer your perspective. You don't replace Olivia Miles, one of the best point guards in the country, heck, one of the best players in the country. We now know officially she's not going to play for the rest of the NCAA tournament. What did Neil Ivey and her staff do at the point guard position to kind of make up as best as you can for that type of player not being on the floor? It kind of felt like at times it was bullpen by committee. Different people were kind of chipping in, handling the basketball. That's exactly right. I, I thought KK Bransford uh, handled it quite a bit more than, than I was anticipating. And, and, again, part of that was what, the way they, they defended Citron. They, they, they needed to give her a little bit of a break the way they were beating her up. And uh, uh, I thought KK did a pretty good job. Maddie Westbelt handled it some. So, like you said, it was point guard by committee, whereas against Southern Utah and in the ACC tournament, it was it was percentage-wise it was more Citron. So they needed to break it down there, and they, and they made an adjustment. The, the, the problem is the next round with Maryland, which is they're so great at turning the ball over, uh, turning the opponent over. So that'll be interesting. Tell me about Lauren Ebo for a second. The Irish got her a grad transfer, and she was out for a number of games late in the year. As you look back at those games and after you see her again and what she's done in the tournament, how much do you think they missed her leading to some of that up-and-down play maybe we saw late in the year? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, um, I'm trying to remember without having it in front of me. I think she missed five games. And uh, they did okay without her. But as you know, tournament ball sometimes becomes more half court. It becomes more about bigs. It, uh, you know, everything's just more precious. And um, she was, she was phenomenal yesterday. She's 18 rebounds, which tied a record for, for Notre Dame in an NCAA tournament game by an individual. And you think about all the illustrious players they've had, or excuse me, didn't tie set broke, broke Katrina Gathers record. Uh, and then, um, and then she was just great on Jessica Carter. I mean, she blocked her, uh, she had five block shots in all, and she had the two late ones on Carter, uh, with about 20, 24 seconds to go in the game back to back. Anthony Anderson. Yeah. Anthony Anderson, Notre Dame women's basketball beat reporter for the South Bend Tribune, joining me to talk about the Irish back in the sweet 16. Once again, it, it seems like, Anthony, I'm not talking about your reporting, but across the country, I'm not sure there is another player that is a first-team all-conference performer that gets less notoriety than Maddie Westbelt. She's kind of the heart and soul of this team, and I know Sonia gets her accolades and Olivia gets her accolades, which they so much deserve, but my goodness, Anthony, where would this team be without Maddie Westbelt, who just fills up the stat sheet, it seems like, every single game? Well, Given that they're already without Olivia, I mean, I'm sure they'd be done, but um, <laughs> she, she's that good. Because she's that versatile. How many bigs do you see around the nation that can handle the ball as well as, as yeah. she does? And she can she can post up, she can play on the wing, and she can even play a little bit of point. Um, and she had – the rebounding became so critical in that game yesterday. And usually somebody who has 15 rebounds isn't the second-leading rebounder, but she had 15 rebounds in the game and uh, I believe nine points, uh, three steals. Um, she was she was very engaged. She played very, really well. And this is obviously meant to be a compliment when I ask this question, but even without Miles and even without Mabry, Anthony, 
wasn't there still no doubt in anyone's mind that Notre Dame still was the most talented team in this little mini regional? Um, or is it closer I than so. I imagine? Yeah, well, it's, it's, I think, I think it became closer without miles and without Mabry. Um, but I, I felt like they had the most talent. Um, I, I don't think they will be the most talented team in their next game. So that'll, that'll, that'll be different. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say, you know, the margin shrunk considerably without miles, but, uh, all, all, all of those other teams with Southern Utah, the exception had comparable talent. I thought, hmm. Anthony, let's talk about this next game against Maryland for the Irish. They have plenty of experience going up against the Terrapins back in December. They played Maryland at Purcell Pavilion in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, and Maryland walked away with a two-point victory. Let me test your memory. Anything stand out about that particular game? I mean, it's obvious to say Notre Dame is not going to have their team at full strength like they had that particular day, and they still lost by two points. Right. Diamond Miller hit a game winner at the buzzer, which Notre Dame is more accustomed to be on the other side of those. But um, yeah. uh, she's a sensational player. She's a first-team All-American. And if I recall, there were quite a few – obviously, it was close at the end. And if I recall, there were quite a few lead changes in that game. It was a really well-played basketball game on both sides. And um, – yeah, I, I mean, things have changed a little bit, obviously, for both teams. I think Maryland's gotten even better than when they played Notre Dame. Hmm. And Notre Dame's had its injury issues. So um, it'll, it'll be an interesting rematch. It, Notre Dame, other than when they play UConn, has not been in a whole heck of a lot of uh, rematch situations in uh, NCAA tournament play over the years. So that'll be a, a fun twist in itself. Just a quick thought on Diamond Miller. I'm looking at the box score from that first meeting. She went 11 of 21 from the field, 31 points. She had 12 rebounds, five assists, three block shots, and two steals. How difficult of a matchup problem <laughs> is she for the Fighting Irish? Well, she's a 6'3 guard, so wow. she's got size on anybody that you know wants to make a switch. She's going to have size on anybody that she t- tries to take down low. And then she's also got great range. So, you know, she is one of those tweeners that's just really tough to match up with. So, um, and she knows how to um, use what, what she's got. So uh, she's a tough matchup. So all things considered, this has been what, Anthony, a top 10 team throughout the year. I'm talking about Notre Dame. You lose two of your key players I don't want to lower expectations, but don't you feel like right now they've accomplished everything they should have, even with the roster decimated? They have, I think, accomplished a lot, even without those two. And anything after this is almost icing on the cake. I don't want to lower the standard because this is a Final Four program. But when you lose those two players, getting more out of this roster moving forward, I mean, it's going to take a lot to win these next couple of games to get to the Final Four. I com I completely agree. They're they're not necessarily looking at it exactly that way because they wouldn't no. be who they are if they did. They they're going to go in fully expecting to win the game. Um, but if they win this game, that that will be a a win that people did not expect. I uh, guarantee the majority of people are going to see Maryland as the favorite in this game. Um, so if if they if they add this and get to the elite eight with the injuries they've had, um, that's going to make a super special season for them. I, I got to ask you, and I guess we have to see this play out before we can really answer this, but 
What are your thoughts on the women's tournament only having two regional sites this year? What, Greenville and Seattle? Of course, the men's draw forever has had four regional sites. The women have always had four as well, but now we're down to two. Do you understand what their thinking was to go this particular route? I, I, I don't, and that, that doesn't mean it's not understandable. Um, but, I, I mean, I haven't put a lot of thought into that myself. Um, but, it, but it is interesting. I mean, it's a, it's a bonanza for basketball fans that, you know, they're going to see four days of basketball as opposed to two at one venue if they can get to that venue. So it's a really great thing for, for neutral fans or, and even fans of a team that also love basketball at large. Um, I don't have a problem with it. I, I'd be curious how you feel since you asked the question, but um, it's, it, it, just, it just feels a little bit odd, but um, I, don't, I don't see it being problematic. Yeah, I heard the committee chair on Westwood One on our station on Sunday mentioned they're trying to create more of a Final Four atmosphere by having more teams at the same location. So almost creating a mini Final Four before the Final Four. Now, to me, <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess my thought is if you want to continue to grow the women's game, and it needs to continue to be grown, getting these teams in front of more audiences seems to make more sense to me and I mean audiences as people going to the games in person having four locations over two that just doesn't seem like you're doing the best thing from a PR standpoint to promote your tournament which they need all the extra promotion because as we know they're going up against the men's tournament and that's really tough in itself yeah, and, and if you, if that's the reasoning, that that doesn't make any sense because if they're trying to create a Final Four atmosphere, why are you doing it with eight teams yeah. as opposed to four teams? Um, and, and like you also say, the geographically, if you can spread that out and attract more fans, um, you're better off in that sense. But uh, it, you know, it, it's going to be one of those things. Both high school and college, they they've tweaked their tournaments quite a bit lately. And I think you really don't know what's going to happen until you have some data in front of you after the fact. Um, they may stick with it. They may go back. Hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, unless it's changed in the last couple of hours, they have not announced the start <laughs> time for that Notre Dame-Maryland game yet? Uh, I could kind of look as we're talking, but I, they were not going to announce it the last I understood until uh, tonight Okay. after more of these games were in, yeah. So we know they're going to play on Saturday for sure. So that means if they would win, it would be a Saturday-Monday regional round for this Fighting Irish women's basketball team. Again, they'll take on Maryland, the two-seed, in one of the Greenville regionals in the Sweet 16. Of course, you can read more about the Fighting Irish. Anthony has you covered in the South Bend Tribune, southbendtribune.com. Well, I guess you deserve a couple of days rest. You've had a busy time with the women and again, Penn. And maybe just a quick thought on the on the Penn Kingsman Kokomo game. You were there for that particular contest. I know Kokomo had that extremely effective big guy, and Penn had the All American guard. You can call him in Marcus Burton, and it came right down to the wire. Yeah, there there was no way that game disappointed it. It, it went down to it was fifty eight fifty seven. Penn got off a great three pointer by Joey Garwood. Uh, and then Kokum was so alert, the ball went through the basket, probably a little over five, but by the time the officials, you know, adjust and look at the clock, it was under five, and Kokomo didn't even approach the ball, and Penn was out of timeouts, and mm. it was kind of an ironic way for Penn's season to end, given that they'd helped themselves to so much they were helpless at the end. 
Um, but it, it was a sensational game. Burton did disappoint. Uh, Badunga for Kokomo did not disappoint. He had 25 points, 22 boards, mm. five blocks, five slams, <laughs> and obviously altered your defense uh, and altered a lot of other shots. Uh, and, and it was just a wonderful game. So, And by the way, uh, I, know, I know you'd never want to go to yourself, but congratulations to your son and, and his team for what they did this year. That was sensational. Well, thank you. I greatly appreciate that. And we, I know, appreciate it as a, a fan base. The day after winning the sectional, the Tribune had a, a nice piece about the 37-year drought is over. So we thank you for recognizing our team doing something that hadn't been done in a while at Mishawaka High School. So I appreciate that very much. Yeah, that's so cool. And I remember Bodie from his Jimtown days. So. Oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> I'm old. I'm old. <laughs> okay, so. I'm really reaching on this one, but I'll ask anyway. Going back a few years, were you ever on Micah Shrewsbury at IU South Bend? Did you ever do a story on him? Nope, I did not. Okay. But I, I, I remember him being well, being there well, yep. It was worth a shot. I, you never know. <laughs> you guys cover so yeah. many different sports through the years, I thought I would ask. Well, can't wait to see this Notre Dame-Maryland game. A spot in the Elite Eight is on the line. If Notre Dame wins this game, man, what a, a terrific effort by the ladies and the coaching staff being shorthanded to get this far is great. You win this game, holy cow, what an incredible accomplishment. Of course, they will be covered by Anthony in the South Bend Tribune. So, Anthony, thank you so much for jumping on board and doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Hopefully you have a few more Notre Dame women's games to write about before the end of the year. Sounds good to me, uh, Darren, and, and uh, have, a, have yourself a great week. I appreciate it. You too. Thank you so much. Check out Anthony Anderson, his coverage of the Notre Dame women's basketball team and the South Bend Tribune, southbendtribune.com. 549 at WSBT. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, I told you on Wednesday I was going to have a little contest on my Twitter account at 960 Sports Beat on Thursday, and the contest was simply pick the winner of the first round games in the NCAA men's basketball tournament featuring Michigan State, Purdue, and Indiana. No one went 3-0. and One person had Purdue losing. That person was ineligible to win the contest because he was my son who picked it correctly, but he did not go 3-0. and But we had 23 people that went 2-1 and in the three selections out of a host of people. A lot of people had Kent State winning. There was a handful of USC beating Michigan State. But at the end of the day, 23 individuals came up in a tie for first in my contest. At stake, a $50 gift card to Wings, etc. So here's what we're going to do. I've assigned each person who tied for first place a number, then on a website, I've got a generate a number between 1 and 23, and they will pick the winner. The individuals who 
had two wins, and I hope I don't mispronounce names. I'm doing my best. Paul Neal, Robert Kurtz, John Goy, Mark Hofer, Jackson Snyder, Scott Robbins, Sean Behemsky, Father Bob Garrow, Jeff Winters, Steve Creel, Adam Zolvinsky, then someone named Flugie 2000, Bill Kurtz, Carlos Garcilazzo, Jordan Rule, Tom Tromboli, Another person who did not have their name, they are intoxicated. Jeff Shaver, Marvin Davis, Bob Meckes, Scotty Loffrey, Lori, Mike Myers, and Bruce Wilrick. So I'm going to generate a number between 1 and 23, and we'll see how it turns out. And as I hit the button, the number 3 comes up, and John Goy, you are the winner of a $50 gift card to Wings, etc. Enjoy that with the tournament underway, some Wings are coming your way. Congratulations. And we have more $50 gift cards to give away, courtesy of our good friends at Wings, etc. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. All right, our Twitter question of the day as we go back to our last program on Wednesday. The question was. Which NCAA men's basketball tournament number one seed is most likely to win the national title? Which NCAA men's basketball tournament number one seed is most likely to win the national title? The number one seeds, Alabama, Houston, Purdue, and Kansas. Two of the four are gone, and they got the least amount of votes. Coming in fourth place in the voting, the team that was a number one seed, least likely to win the national championship, the defending champions, the Kansas Jayhawks. They only got 19% of the vote. I saw the stat during coverage. What has it been, seven years since a defending champion has even made the Sweet 16 the next year? The 06-07 Billy Donovan coach, Florida Gators, the last team to go back-to-back. So Kansas got 19%. The Purdue Boilermakers got 21%, of course, as everybody knows, ousted by the 16 seed, Fairleigh Dickinson. More on that game as we kick off the 6 o'clock hour in a couple of moments. Second place in the voting for the number one seed most likely to win the title at 29.5% roll tide. The Alabama Crimson Tide, their portion of the bracket is looking awfully good for the Tide. They've got a nice avenue to get to the championship game. That side of the bracket is where all the chaos mostly has taken place. And according to you, the voters, the team, a number one seed in this year's men's tournament that has the best chance to win the national title. You went with the team that could play the final four in their hometown like Butler did years ago. The Houston Cougars. Houston got 30.5% of the vote, and we will not see Kelvin Sampson, the head coach of Houston, go up against his old team, Indiana, as the Hoosiers knocked off by Miami last night as the Indiana guards should never watch the tape of that game. So, according to you, Houston and Alabama, the two favorites to win the title among the number one seeds. And you know what? You're off to a pretty good start with that vote. We thank you for voting. Here is today's question. Purdue men's basketball coach Matt Painter 
has lost to a 13 seed or worse three times in his career, including Friday's loss to the 16 seed FDU. Fans saying Painter should be on the hot seat for his tournament failures are fill in the blank. Choice number one, being ridiculous. Choice number two, they are correct. Choice number three, a little too soon with that thought. Three losses to team seated 13 or worse. Should Matt Painter be on the hot seat for his tournament failures? Your three choices are you're being ridiculous, you're correct, or you're a little too soon with that thought. You can vote right now, tonight, tomorrow, on my Twitter account, at 960-SPORTSBEAT. And we thank you in advance for participating. Coming up after a sports update, a look back at that Purdue loss, including comments from head coach Matt Painter, who handled the press conference beautifully. Did it with a lot of class. Six o'clock on your home of the Fighting Irish. Sports Radio 960 WSBT South Bend. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. I'm catching on the hosel, right? Yeah, right, right. Moving my head. Yeah. Clearing too early. I'm clearing too late. My swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Tears in his eyes, I guess. Four, please. Darren Pritchett is now broadcasting. Oh, wow! In your life have you seen anything like that? On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And Sports Beat continues on WSBT Radio. Darren Pritchett with you on this Monday evening, 12 minutes after 6 o'clock. Budweiser's weekday sports beat brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Now with three locations to serve you, Barnaby's the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, for new beginnings, have happy endings. Let's just recap some news we told you about in the 5 o'clock hour involving the search for a new Notre Dame men's basketball coach. Of course, during the season, we found out that Mike Bray was leaving the program. He has surfaced today as a candidate for the South Florida basketball coaching vacancy. Apparently, no offer has been Handed out as of yet, but Mike has talked to them about the position. His old job, who's going to be the new Notre Dame basketball coach? Well, I'm not sure what this means, but again, David Jones, columnist for the Harrisburg Patriot News, longtime writer covering Penn State athletics, I'm told is well in tune to what's happening with Penn State athletics. He had a tweet just a little bit ago. And it's centered around Penn State basketball coach Micah Shrewsbury. According to David, that Shrewsbury right now is in talks with the University of Notre Dame about their basketball coaching search. And he believes that Penn State made their pitch. Whatever's going to happen, stay or go, will happen soon. So 
Micah Shrewsbury and Penn State had a great late season run. I'm sure the price tag went up a little bit in the eyes of the agent of Micah Shrewsbury. And now here we are, Penn State coming off a 10 seed in the Big Ten tournament, got all the way to the title game, nearly came all the way back from 19 down to beat Purdue, got into the field of 68 as a 10 seed, and they took care of Texas A&M in round one, nearly got the two seed Texas before the Horns finally pulled off the victory. Shrewsbury, former IU South Bend head coach from 05 to 07. Of course, we know him from his time with Matt Painter at Purdue, Brad Stevens at Butler, with Brad Stevens with the Boston Celtics. So we'll see where this goes. That's the reporting of David Jones, a columnist from the Harrisburg Patriot News. He believes Shrewsbury right now is making contact with Notre Dame and, of course, vice versa. This would be an absolute home run hire. I would be over the moon excited if Micah comes back to South Bend to take over this Notre Dame basketball program. We will keep you updated on the latest on Shrewsbury and the Notre Dame basketball coaching search. Well, we mentioned Purdue a moment ago. Shrewsbury used to work for Matt Painter, and I'm sure he is feeling the pain that Matt Painter, the players, the fan base going through right now. You never want to make bad history. And Purdue, of course, losing in the first round to the 16 seed, Fairleigh Dickinson, 63-58, only the second number one seed to ever lose to a number 16 seed, joining Virginia a few years ago, who lost to Maryland-Baltimore County. For the Boilermakers, a season that got off to a roaring start, beating Duke and Gonzaga, number one team in the country for multiple weeks. Then you get by, what would you say, the three-quarter pole of the season. Purdue came down to earth. Did teams figure them out? Maybe. Quality of play of Purdue went down. I would say yes, in particular the guard play. Edie stayed very consistent at 7-4. He gets his spot in the post. He's going to do a lot of damage. But in this game, Purdue played the smallest Division I team in the country, and they beat the team with probably the player of the year that stands 7-4 in Zach Edie. And they did it with just grit, determination, a player in front of Edie, a player behind Edie. They were daring the other four players to beat them. And for Purdue, their inability to hit shots and turning the basketball over led to history being made. 16 turnovers, including seven by your freshman point guard, Braden Smith. For the Boilermakers in this game, it was a back-and-forth tussle in the second half when Purdue went up by, I want to say, four or five. Late in the second half, you thought, okay, they're going to figure this out. But FDU came right back and put all the pressure on Purdue. And you look at the stats, FDU shot 38% from the field, 30% from the three-point line. Purdue made seven more free throws than FDU. Purdue out-rebounded FDU by nine. But at the end of the day, FDU pulled off the upset 63-58. to A stunning loss for Matt Painter's Boilermakers. Well, today, just, you know, what we've tried to 
the form within our system in, in terms of recruiting is to have the balance of, of a great, you know, great bigs with skill. And then obviously you need to shoot five for 26, and this wasn't something for us that was just today. You know, we, we had a couple stretches during the season. Um, you know, even in the Big Ten tournament, you know, our last game against, you know, Penn State. Um, and it is frustrating. I think it kind of just mounted for us and it got worse at times just because I think we shot one out of rhythm three in front of me, maybe another one. But, like, the game plan for people is, is not to, like, stay in there on him and then go contest. Like, they, they, they stay in there on him and they don't even contest. So, like, we're taking wide open shots, um, you know, from some guys that, that can shoot the basketball. And, and that's kind of been the case for us, you know, the whole year. We've had stretches where we shot the ball well, then we had other stretches. It's that inconsistency. And I think that just kind of builds, you know, especially within individual games like this right here to where, like, now, like, who really wants to and, and knock that shot down? you got to have three or four guys that want that. And, and it's really hard when, you know, you're not as confident and you've missed some wide open shots. So, um, you know, I thought the St. Peter's game, those guys really made it hard for Zach once he got it. And he had those turnovers in that game where here that wasn't the case. You know, when we could get it to him, you know, he, he could score the basketball. It was just after it just kept coming and we're just wide open and they're just not going to let us get it in there because, you know, why should they, right? You know, make those other guys uh, move it. But I, but I thought another key piece of the game was, you know, we had to have more cracks at it. You know, have, you know shooting that way is one thing, but then having 16 turnovers um, and, you know, about half of those was just us, you know, kind of passing and catching, being able to make fundamental plays. And uh, we overdid some things, had a couple charging calls. And um, you, you got to be able, when people press you like that, you got to go get layups. Yeah, we saw late in the year the press caused the Boilermakers a lot of issues. And they had their hands full with FDU in that storyline as well. I thought coming down the stretch, there were some Purdue players that I'm not sure wanted that big moment because some pretty good shots that were taken normally in a regular game were passed upon. And then the real head scratcher. And as a fan, I know there's frustration as soon as this was talked about in the post game. But you have the guy that's probably the National Player of the Year on your team at 7-4 against all these little gnats running around him. And he did not have a shot from the field in the last nine minutes of the game and one shot in the final 12 minutes of the game. And even that last sequence off the inbound where Lawyer fired that three from the left corner, he had Edie in the low block with no one in front of him, just a small defender behind him, and he shot the three and missed. When you could have got the quick two and then played the foul game. But Zach Eady has to touch the basketball at all costs. You can lob it up to him. You can set screens to try to get him open. But at the end of the day, they're doubling him, so someone is open at all times, but that person open normally didn't hit the shot for Purdue. But you've got to get Edie the basketball. That's why coaches make millions of dollars. Players got to make the right decisions. I am absolutely positive Matt Painter and his coaching staff talked about and reminded the players about getting 
80 touches, but they can't pass the ball. They have to rely on their players. And I don't know if it was some of the youthful guards that didn't make that right decision. Whatever the case may be, that's a major, major miss by the Boilermakers and not figuring out more ways to get Zach Eady the basketball. They relied on others to hit shots, and unfortunately, more times than not, they did not. 35% from the field, the 5 of 26 from the three-point line just is a killer. When you go 5 for 26 from three, you are asking for the underdog to beat you. And unfortunately, coupled with 16 turnovers, Matt Painter's team going home after such a great season, but done in the round of 64. You know, whether it's the turnovers where it was us or it was them, it was still, I thought, a well-played game on, on, on their end of things. And um, it's hard. It's, it's a really hard thing. We've worked very hard and done things the right way in our program. And I think six straight years, we've been a top five seed. And that's all you try to do is you just try to fight to get in the best position possible. And now we get in the best position possible, and this happens. And um, obviously, it hurts. It, it, it hurts bad. And, uh, but with that being said, I don't want to take anything away from them. They earned it. They played better than we did. They coached better than we did. And uh, we got to sit in it. We got to face it. We got to deal with it. And we got to come back stronger. But um, th that'll take some time. That'll take some time. These guys have been fabulous. Our players, it's, it's a joy to, to be around them. Um, these guys all love it. They work hard. They're good dudes. Um, we don't have problems like a lot of other people have problems. We've worked our asses off to get the right people on our team. And uh, it's just unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. Yeah, what he said there is exactly right. Now, that's not going to make up for the loss to a 16 seed, but there is no doubt Matt has a formula. He recruits to that belief and puts together the type of team that he wants. He recruits the type of players that fits his system. Unlike some other programs in the Big Ten where let's grab this transfer portal guy and that guy and we'll recruit this guy and we'll just kind of throw it into a stew and hope it works. That's what happened in Champaign this year. But Painter put together a roster that fit what he wanted. Now, the argument's going to be, is there another level of guard needed to, I don't want to say take the place of, but help Smith and Lawyer, the two freshmen. Smith, as a point guard, does some really good things. Passing the basketball, had seven turnovers. Hey, can't forget that. Didn't play well in this big game. Lawyer's shooting was a little off late in the year. You need dynamic guards, and not just one. And this goes for all the Big Ten. We can talk more about this tomorrow. But the concern of so many, and I mentioned it late in the year, the guard play is going to cost Purdue. And I don't want to just put it all on the guards in this spot, but they were asked by FDU to beat them. The Knights said, Purdue guards beat us, and they couldn't do it. Gillis, one of seven from the three-point line. Smith, one of six. Morton, Jenkins, and Newman go 0 for 5 from the three-point line. Just a disaster on the offensive end to score 58 points against the smallest team in Division I from the worst conference in Division I. Just hard to comprehend for Matt Painter's Boilermakers. There's nothing you can say that's going to change it, right? I mean, it just, I mean, it stinks. 
they outplayed us, they outcoached us. I think that's the one thing as a coach that you always face it and you know, you'll get ridiculed, you'll get shamed, you'll get whatever. It's it's basketball. You know, you gotta get better. You gotta keep fighting to get yourself in this position and then be better. And um, you know, that's what we have to do. But just told him that I was proud of him. You know, you win the league, you win your tournament, you fight to get in this position. We haven't been in this position as a one seed in a long time. And we get here and then we don't take advantage of that opportunity. But um, they're good guys. They work hard. You know, it, it stings. You know, you can get a lot of different people that look at it a lot of different ways. But when you're the one that's actually playing and coaching and you, the one, you're the one that invested that time, it's, it's really hard to take. But like I said, we, we're the ones that got to sit in it. We're the ones that got to hopefully be better because of it. Mm. Matt Painter, Boilermaker head coach. One more sound bite from Coach Painter as he was in a tough spot moments after losing that game, trying to put together some words to explain what happened in this game. And I thought he did a really nice job, honestly, in a tough, tough spot. But he was asked an interesting question. Pretty wasn't the same team coming down the stretch. Being that number one team in the country for multiple weeks, being the team with the target on their back nationally and, of course, in the Big Ten as well, did being the hunted all year wear down his basketball team because their shooting sure went kind of down in the toilet over the last 10 games of the year? Yeah, I, I don't, you know, you don't want to make excuses. I, I think the, the shooting, maybe, but like, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Farley Dickinson. I thought they were great. They were special. And, uh, but look at their two leading scores. Like, it wasn't like some guy went off for 30. I mean, there's seven for 21 between them. You know, the next kid right there, Moore, he really had a good game, but he's still seven for 17. So it wasn't one of those games where, like, you know, they were seven for 23 from three. It was a grinder. You know, we had to be better at grinding that game out than they were, and we weren't. But I, I, when I look at it and I take a step back, you know, you out-rebound them by nine. They have nine turnovers. We have 16. That, that's where it kind of lies for us. We, we, we had a stretch there where we lost games in Big Ten play where we had 16, 17, 16 turnovers, if I'm, if I'm accurate. And that was, it was just too much for us. You know, if you're not going to shoot well and you're going to have high-level turnovers, you're going to put yourself in a, in, a, in a tough position. But I do think as a, as a person who played college basketball and struggled shooting myself, you know, you, you start to play that game within yourself. And you got to be confident and you got to step into things. Hmm. Well said by Purdue head coach Matt Painter. If you just rip off the Purdue stats off the official stat sheet and you look at FDU's numbers – as a 16 seed, you would have thought there's no way they won the game. Nothing stands out about what FDU did. In a big upset, sometimes a team might go 12 of 18 from the three-point line or shoot 61% from the field and pull off the major upset. In this game, 38% from the field, 30% from three, 8 of 10 from the free throw line. Nothing stands out, like Matt said. Their leading scores had 19 and 12. It wasn't like someone had Adrian Dantley who went off for 40 in the ball game. It was just kind of a, a good game played by FDU, but Purdue played poorly. They beat themselves. And I don't want to take away anything from FDU. They did what they needed to do, but Purdue shot themselves in the foot with the turnovers and the poor shooting from the three-point line. And their season ends at 29 and 6. Unfortunately, 29-6 and six is not going to be remembered. It's going to be they lost 
to a 16 seed. And I went through this for years when Notre Dame was struggling in the NCAA tournament. My thought has always been this. It doesn't change. I know a lot of people disagree with me. But the tournament's a crapshoot. It's matchups. It's one and done. In the regular season, you play a bad game. You got the next game right in front of you. In the tournament, you don't. You play poorly, you're done. And I always took into account more the regular season than the postseason. What you accomplish from November through early March, I think, defines the team. Whatever happens in the postseason adds to the narrative, but I don't think it should define it. Now, if you're a 12 seed and you win the national championship, that's a little different story. But Purdue was one of the best teams throughout the year. Last month, they were not. If you go by the last month, they might be a six seed or a seven seed, but their body of work, they earned that number one seed. But no second chances in March Madness. They're done. I hope they're remembered for their great year, but I know it's going to be tough for Boilermaker fans to overlook losing to a 16 seed. 631 is our time. Darren Pritchett with you. More sports beat coming up in a moment on WSBT. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Darren Pritchett back with you, 638 on this Monday evening. The My Five today, the top five wins of the weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. We start with the St. John's Red Storm men's basketball program. No, they are not in the NCAA tournament. They fired their head coach, Mike Anderson. And after Iona was knocked out of the NCAA tournament, we all wondered, would Rick Pitino be interested in the St. John's opening and vice versa? Well, sure enough, we've had the reports today that Pitino and St. John's have agreed on a six-year deal for the 70-year-old to become the head coach at St. John's. He leaves Iona after three years, led them to the NCAA tournament twice, and now he's back in major college basketball for the first time since 2017 when he had his very awkward departure from Louisville. This just makes so much sense. St. John's is looking for not only a spark for their program, but someone to get them back to the top of the Big East. Growing up in the 80s, Louis Carnesecca and his famous sweaters always had some really good St. John's teams. Chris Mullen, Bill Winnington, to name a couple of players. But there's been a major drop-off since Louis retired in 1992. So now the New York City native Patino will try to revive that Red Storm program. 711 career wins, a 710 win percentage. If he gets that thing going, Madison Square Garden will be rocking once again. Four. The number four winner of the weekend, the Arkansas Razorback men's basketball program. Very quietly, very sneaky. This is their third consecutive trip to the Sweet 16. This year's Razorback team was very inconsistent up and down throughout the year. 
even with two possible top 10 picks in the NBA draft on their roster. Well, they almost won, or I should say, led wire to wire against Illinois in round one. Pig Suey beat the Illini 73-62, and then Arkansas took down the defending national champion and the top seed, the Kansas Jayhawks, 72-71. The Razorbacks down eight at halftime, storm back. Davis had a big second half for Arkansas, and here they are again in the Sweet 16 for a third consecutive year. Okay, okay. Uh, number three. For number three, let's go to the Ivy League and the Princeton Tigers, a 15 seed in the NCAA tournament, are in the Sweet 16. They pulled off a stunner, knocking off the two seed Arizona, 59-55 in the round of 64. And then over the weekend in the round of 32, it was Princeton taking down seven-seeded Missouri in dominating fashion. The Tigers won 78-63. Pete Carell, the late Princeton basketball coach, pulled off that massive upset. UCLA had won the national title the next year, taken down by the Tigers in the first round. I think that game might have been in Indianapolis, 43-41. Princeton known for their passive offense, but, man, they're scoring points. about 78 against Missouri? And now they move to the Sweet 16 where they will take on the six-seed Creighton. This will be the first time in the history of the tournament a six-seed will play a 15-seed. Creighton taking on Princeton. Number two. The number two win of the weekend, the eight-seeded, Ole Miss women's basketball team. Rarely do we see major upsets in the women's tournament, but we had one over the weekend as top seed Stanford taken down by the eight seed, 54-49, and the loss on Stanford's home floor. Stanford became the first number one seed since 2009 to fail to reach the Sweet 16 in the women's tournament. Stanford had made 14 straight Sweet 16s during that span. They had gone to the Final Four each of the last two years, winning a championship in 2021. So now the Stanford region is wide open. You've got the two-seed Iowa in the Sweet 16, and then a couple of games that have to take place tonight. The three-seed Duke versus the six-seed Colorado. The four-seed Texas versus the five-seed Louisville. Of course, Ole Miss is now in the Sweet 16. Number one. And no surprise what number one is. Despite winning just one game in the tournament, it was the shot heard around the world, fairly Dickinson, beating the number one seed, the Purdue Boilermakers, 63-58. FDU makes history. The second team in tournament history to be a 16-seed and take down a number one seed. That is today's My Five Question of the Day. 643 on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Wesley, off balance shot, no good. Atkinson put back. It's good. That's it. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Notre Dame in double overtime. Here's your host, 
Darren Pritchett. Happy St. Patrick's Day, baby! Oh, we'll never forget that line from Mike Bray after 23 years as Notre Dame basketball coach. Left the program and now reports today that he has met with the administration at South Florida, an American Athletic Conference program that was eighth in the league this year, a league that has Memphis, Houston, Cincinnati, Temple, Tulane in it. And after six years, Randy Gregory was let go as head coach of South Florida after going 14-18 and 18 this season. So there is a chance Mike Bray could be coaching next year. Son, family lives down in Florida, so that would make a lot of sense for Coach Bray. And I'm honestly hoping he stays in the coaching game. He has a lot to give to some young men trying to learn the game of basketball, so I'll be his biggest fan down there at South Florida. Rick Pitino, six-year deal to take over at St. John's. That is the report. Only coach to lead three different programs to the Final Four, Providence College, Kentucky, and Louisville. He won championships at Kentucky and Louisville. And this would be the first big-time coaching hire for St. John's since Louis Carnesecca retired back in 1992. Ed leaving Providence College to take over at Georgetown. Reportedly, Cooley will leave Providence College, where he had a great run with the Friar program. You take a look at Georgetown, the perennial power of the 80s, last two years under one of their greats, Patrick Ewing. Hoyas went 13-50. and 50. They had a 29-game losing streak during that stretch. They've made the NCAA tournament just one time in the last seven years. And for Cooley, 12 years at Providence College, won the 2014 Big East tournament title, only the second time Providence had ever won that particular championship. But Cooley moving on to a place, I guess, that he has wanted to have his name involved with for a good amount of time, and that is Georgetown. And again, Today, David Jones, columnist from the Harrisburg Patriot News, put out a tweet a little bit ago that from what he is hearing, and he is well locked into Penn State Athletics, that basketball coach Micah Shrewsbury is in talks with Notre Dame, and he believes that Penn State has made their pitch already to keep Micah, and that whether he's going to stay or go, it's going to happen very, very soon soon. So, Micah Shrewsbury, former IU South Bend head coach, 05 through 07, more well-known as an assistant coach at Purdue, Butler, and with the Boston Celtics, working for Brad Stevens and Matt Painter. Could he be the replacement for Mike Bray? If that's the case, in my books, that is a home run hire. 652 at WSBT. Show me the money. <laughs> we go with Sizzler. <laughs> we go with Sizzler. All right, Sportsbeat continues on WSBT Radio with our sports wagering segment. We going to Sizzler. All right, so for tonight, we don't have any men's NCAA tournament action to go with, so we have to kind of go a different direction. So let's see what we can come up with. We'll start with the women's tournament tonight. 
Down in Bloomington, the Indiana Ball Club will be taking on, oddly enough, Miami, just like the men's draw. It'll be Indiana and Miami. This time, though, IU is the number one seed. Miami is the number nine seed. IU right now is favored by 13 and a half points against the Hurricanes. I'm going to take Indiana and lay those points against the Hurricanes. Got to be payback time after IU bounce from the men's draw. From the NBA tonight, you've got the 76ers taking on the Chicago Bulls in Philadelphia. Bulls are starting to come on. They might be in that play-in game mix here. And I'll take the 76ers at home laying the 8.5 against the Bulls at minus 115. From the World Baseball Classic, we've got a semifinal matchup tonight down in Miami. It is Japan versus Mexico. Both of these teams have been scoring a lot of runs. Shohei Otani apparently is not going to pitch for the Japanese team, which gives Mexico a little hope. But Roki Sasaki apparently is a 21-year-old from Japan who is lights out, and he is pitching tonight. So this could affect my wager, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Japan, Mexico, over 8.5 total runs. Japan could score 9 all by themselves. It's been an offensive tournament. Let's go over 8.5 total runs, Japan and Mexico at minus 115. And finally, from the NHL, I'll take the Calgary Flames on the road on the money line against the L.A. Kings at minus 110. It is a coin flip game out in La La Land. Right now for the month of March, not a lot of activity. We've had a lot of shows shortened. So 9-4 for the month, 75-61-2 for the season. Budweiser's weekday sports beat has been brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend sports fans. This Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Now with three locations to serve you, Barnaby's the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, for new beginnings, have happy endings. On this date in 1954, a little team called Milan beat Muncie for the state basketball championship. Of course, leading to the movie based a little bit on that story. The old Hickory Huskers winning the championship in the movie Hoosiers. But the actual win by Bobby Plump and Milan was on this date in 1954. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 